love it. You hear that? It's the sound of freedom. A little bit late, but uh, U.S. military hitting targets in Yemen. Houthi terrorist targets in Yemen. It's about time. This is late. It's probably not enough, but it's something. The Houthis, uh, terrorist group in Yemen, and what do we hit them with? Well, all kinds of things. Tomahawk missiles, a uh, submarine was there, uh, guided missile destroyers, and fighter jets from the Brits. Thank you, UK. And those Houthi targets, basically uh, the western side of Yemen. And that's good. Again, late. Look, I would rally around Joe Biden for a few minutes or two. I don't want to. And even if I did want to, I couldn't. There's like nothing to rally around in a way. Watch this. <laughs> Shows up at some coffee shop, makes a joke about being in the U.S. Senate, shuffling around. It, it, nothing about, you know, our strategic intentions or, you know, support the troops or what's next or just no leadership. This is... He can't. He doesn't know how to. More jokes about, I don't know, stupid stuff. Well, look, we're going to get a chance to talk, apparently, uh, at the, after the fire station. So rather than, uh, by the way, anybody want a coffee? It's not me. Right? You take a smoothie? Well, there's six bucks, but I'll do it anyway. Someone's got to tell him he's not funny. No more jokes, okay? The only laugh because it's... The nervous, they're nervous, and it seems polite. Um, and then he moved in on some young girl's space. It's amazing the president of the United States doesn't know how to behave. You see the girl, blonde hair, right? Oh, what are you doing there? It doesn't matter if he's the president. Anybody. You got too close to her, Joe. Leave her alone. Uh, there was more mumbling about uh, stuff. Are we in the back of proxy war later on? Say again? Are we in the back of proxy war? No. He is really intent on soaking in the moment of that coffee shop. One more. I think they are. Yes. One of the very, I don't think there's any civilian casualties. That's another reason why it's a success. The Biden administration actually officially decertified the Houthis as a terrorist group in 2021. Okay. All right. On to the fire station. The fire station. He's going to set everything straight with the firefighters. What happened? And the last thing is, one of the things that's going to have an impact is, and I know it doesn't matter to you guys. I'm being facetious. I shouldn't be kidding like that. But when you want to call and check the balance on your account, you get charged 30 bucks. Is that fair? Is that fair? These junk fees? You're going to go home for, for Easter. Or you're going to go home for Christmas. You're going to go home for the holidays with your kid. And you find out to get your kid sitting next to you, it's going to cost you another 200 bucks. These are junk fees. And guess what? We're getting rid of them. He's really in touch with how we live, huh? <laughs> $30 to check your balance. This is what he does, tries to connect, but he can't connect. He gets it all wrong. He, stories from long ago combined with stuff he think he may have heard. And just, it's a mess. It's a mess. Now, again, there's a reason why he doesn't really want to talk about what happened over there. The left, they're incensed. They don't like uh, the military. They don't like taking on the terrorists. Remember, a lot of them are on the side of the terrorists. They're 
they're rooting for Hamas and maybe even the Houthis. Who knows? You know, the big message from this administration is we don't want any trouble, right? That's that is the strategic end game, which is not a strategic end game, but we don't want any trouble. That's so lame, isn't it? We're not looking for conflict with Iran. We're not looking to escalate. And there's no reason for it to, to escalate beyond what happened last uh, over the last few days by the Houthis. They are the ones that have been escalating. Uh, we, we, we don't, we're not looking for conflict with Iran. I found leaders who are determined to prevent the conflict that we're facing now from spreading, um, doing everything possible to deter escalation, uh, to prevent a widening uh, of the conflict. It's like they're um, shop owners from 100 years ago and they're afraid of the mafia, right? Just whatever it takes, whatever it takes, here's our money, just leave us alone, leave us alone. Um, and this is, look, they're getting the direction from the top, Joe Biden. He doesn't want any trouble anywhere because, well, I think he's compromised. But anyway, this is our foreign policy now. I made it real clear to Xi Jinping that uh, we're going to compete fully with China but we're not going to look we're not looking for conflict. I made it clear to him again when I've told him in person on several occasions that we're not looking for confrontation. See, if you tell everybody your end game is no conflict, that's uh, that's not a very powerful position. We've got a big army every now and then you got to threaten. Hey, don't make us too mad or we're not that conflict averse. Just my opinion. I could be radically wrong, but I don't think so. Remember when we took out Soleimani? He was one of the top terrorists in the world. Uh, he's an Iranian general. And this, at the moment he walked into Iraq, the airport, we had him tracked and Donald Trump ordered him dead. And that was good. Last night, at my direction, the United States military executed a flawless strike that terminated the terrorist ringleader responsible for gravely wounding and murdering thousands and thousands of people and hundreds and hundreds, at least, of Americans. That's the way it's done. That's the way it's done. And of course, when Donald Trump takes out one of the worst terrorists in the world, Democrats say that's irresponsible. How could he do such a thing, literally? The killing of General Soleimani was a provocation to war that made Americans less safe for years and maybe decades to come. I, I do think we're less safe in many respects as a consequence. I really don't think he fully weighed the consequences of killing Qasem Soleimani before choosing to uh, go out in that direction. I think we're less safe in the short term and less safe in the wrong term in the long term, because we just gave the leadership an excuse to say no to the Americans. All right, granted, I don't know who any of those people are, just talking heads on TV. But Joe Biden, then candidate Biden, was openly, I mean, look, we're in an election. I'll give Joe minor credit for taking out some bad guys. Joe couldn't do that in 2020. He was on the, it made the world more dangerous taking out that terrorist. Soleimani was responsible for the deaths of hundreds of American troops and thousands of innocent lives throughout the region. Okay, he knows he's a bad guy, Soleimani, okay? He knows that, right? Okay, now? He was the mastermind, but he was not the whole of the regime or of its capacity to strike back. So the question is, was the reward of removing a bad actor worth the risk of what comes next? We don't have evidence to suggest that Trump or anyone around him thought serious about, seriously about that calculus. 
It's been reported that the Pentagon, which has long warned against taking a shot like this, was shocked that Trump would take such a risk. The Pentagon, huh? The Pentagon. We are horrified that a terrorist would be removed from the battlefield. What kind of bizarre world are, are, is this, right? All right. Yeah, keep going here. This is good. We have not heard a sober-minded explanation to assure the American, reassure the American people that this decision and its consequences uh, were thought through. No level-headed words meant to dial down the tensions and to uh, take us off the path of conflict. Okie dokie. Uh, we haven't heard from him in a, in a sober way, have we? The shuffling at the coffee shop. One more. No press conference or consultation with our Congress. No. What we've heard so far from this president are tweets, threats, and tantrums. You know what? I would take that for, the, for that coffee shop routine. Okay, this is the last one. Make no mistake that this outcome is a strategic setback, heightened threats, chance of death to America, once more echoing across the Middle East. Iran and its allies are vowing revenge that was unavoidable. The seeds of danger were planted by Donald Trump is himself. Trump's impulsive decision may well do more to strengthen Iran's position in the region than any of Soleimani's plots would have ever accomplished. Wow. Uh, again, that's candidate Joe Biden in 2020. So he wants to appear presidential. Then he becomes president and he's not presidential. Side by side, Donald Trump in command, pulling the trigger on a bad guy. And Joe Biden hanging around the the bookstore section, the book section of the coffee shop, too close to some girl. Uh, you see? You see the difference? It's pretty apparent. And when it comes to national security, Joe Biden, all those promises that he knew the world. We lost Afghanistan. Thanks, Joe. That's on you. We have no border. Thanks, Joe. That's on you. And, you know, we know that terrorists are coming into America. And you know that I never really understood this. Uh, I never knew that the Chinese came through the Mexican, the, the Rio Grande, right? They don't come, but they are now. They are now. And what are they going to do once they're here? Coming in illegally, Gordon Chang has some grave concerns about that. I want to go back to the Houthis for a moment. The Houthis, still getting used to these guys. Uh, they've been around for a while, all the way back in the 1980s, 20,000 of them. And they're highly organized, more so than al-Qaeda, apparently. They got better equipment, better training, and they're getting money from Iran. Very, very tight with Iran. You know, we saw Joe Biden shuffling around, and, you know, the defense secretary, well, more on him in a moment. Remember in 2020 what they said? Once Donald Trump is gone, you know, the professionals will be there. The adults in the room is what they said. There was sort of a Okay, the adults are back in the room. Yeah. Simply put, the adults are back in the room. It's to show that the adults are back in the room. Uh, the past four years under an earlier administration have been, let's say, tumultuous. <laughs> well, Lloyd Austin was not in the room, unless you count the hospital room. The defense secretary was in ICU on some sort of drip, and I guess they gave him an iPad. 
We learned last night that President Biden had uh, specifically directed Secretary Austin to oversee uh, these airstrikes that we saw overnight. Uh, and we were told that Secretary Austin uh, basically followed everything and monitored all of this in real time from the hospital, where officials say he had uh, sort of the full suite of communications access that he would have needed for all of this. Yeah, an iPad. <laughs> or an iPhone. I don't know. It's just it's just so strange, right? The defense secretary during a major mission like this is in the hospital. Defense secretary is a bit of a weirdo lately, and so is Joe. He was asked about that. Oh, when he's hanging around that girl in the coffee shop, totally not into his duties as commander-in-chief, right? It's like a, he wants to talk to that girl and he wants to look at the books. But they did ask him a question about his defense secretary. I do. I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> Does not break his stride for what could they possibly have over there that would hold his interest other than getting close to the blonde teenager? Maybe that's it. I'm sorry. Look, all this mixed messaging, shuffling around, wussiness, sorry. You know what it makes you miss and it what it makes you look forward to? Something like along these lines. North Korea best not make any more threats to the United States. They will be met with fire and fury like the world has never seen. All right. That's how it's done. And that's how it's going to be done again. I will be right back. So Trump in court this week, uh, you know, he's defending himself on all fronts. Good for him. It's amazing what has happened, right? Uh, his political stature has increased. Democrats are panicked. They had no idea this would happen. They thought he'd be finished by now. He's only getting stronger. Um, you know that show Shark Tank? I'm not the biggest fan. I always think they're a little bit too mean to those uh, those contestants. And anyway, uh, one of the guys in the middle, apparently they call him Mr. Wonderful. Uh, O'Leary is his name. He offered one of the greatest um, defenses of Donald Trump regarding this nasty case in New York. They're trying to ruin his whole business. Uh, check it out. You've been doing real estate for decades. Does this case strike you as odd? Well, let's leave out Trump for a minute and let's leave out politics and just talk about what happens in real estate development. A real estate developer everywhere on earth does this. They always talk about their asset being worth a lot and the bank says no. And that's just the way it is. So in this case, when I'm trying to figure out, and I'm not pro or con or I don't care about the politics, who lost money? Nobody. The bank got paid back the construction finance loan and a new building was built. And if, if you're going to sue this case and win, you got to sue every real estate developer everywhere. This is all they do. This is what they do all day long, every day. So I don't think this thing will ever survive appeal, regardless of what the fine is. This doesn't even make sense. Good for him. I knew that, but it's great to hear it from somebody who's actually purchased real estate on that scale and, and is saying the truth. Uh, he doesn't get much of it from from mainstream media. And yeah, he's he's mainstream media over there on the Shark Tank. Good for him. And all this stuff about reality TV got me thinking about something. These guys, 
Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. I'm not the biggest sports fan, but uh, I remember these guys in the 90s. They were huge, the Chicago Bulls, and what a great team. They were superstars, but you know what? They worked at it. They worked like crazy. The work ethic these two uh, men had going back then, it was awesome. And now you don't need to really work hard. You can take a massive shortcut to status, attention, fame, money. You know about Scottie Pippen's, I guess it's his ex-wife, Larsa, and Michael Jordan's son. They're going steady. (laughs) I love the commentary. Marcus and I have been dating for about 10 months. It was like a friendship that evolved into more. It wasn't like, let's set the internet on fire. Let's just get together. I kind of was hesitant, but I feel like the more time we spent together in Miami, the more I realized, like, he's my guy. He's not anyone else's guy. He's really my guy. All right. Uh, you know, there's a great big uh, age gap, and uh, it's just disrespectful to Michael, to Scotty. It's terrible, right? Uh, when when Scotty Pippen married that girl, uh, I guess Michael Jordan Jr. was just a kid, and now they're together. I mean, it's it's just not right, and it's been celebrated by our culture. Celebrated, like, isn't this somehow cute? All these headlines all over the place, and, you know, they went to Nobu in Miami, and they went to this place and that place, and it shows you a society in rapid decline. These are the kinds of things that shouldn't be happening in a healthy society, or it Well, they happen in any society, and they happen all the time, but it shouldn't be celebrated, right? So where are we going to get our our guidance from, our spiritual guidance from? We're not going to get it from the president. We don't look for it there, but it's certainly not available. The historic investments we're celebrating today is in Congressman Boebert's district. When my predecessor, the distinguished, anyway. This is him. This is him. It's always a joke. Faith is always a joke. We looked it up. How many times has he mentioned Christ in his presidency? Hmm? He's a Catholic. He's mentioned it three times earnestly. Three. How many times has he mentioned... uh, transgender trans issues 55 times you know it's kind of a it's a sign isn't it it's a symbol of some larger things and uh here's hoping that larsa and michael break up it'd be good for both families and the country be right back So the pride flag in front of a uh, Air Force fighter jet, um, it would be, in the old days, something I guess you'd kind of get punished for. Uh, where's the American flag? Where's the Air Force flag or the Marine flag or the Navy flag? No, it's a, uh, the military is, is very, very different these days. Um, well, just look at the military's top leaders over the past couple of years. I want to understand white rage, and I'm white. And I want to understand it. I'm talking, of course, about extremism and extremist ideology. I also want you to share with your leadership your own personal experiences with encountering extremist and extremist ideology in the military. My father was black. My mother was white. 
Racial identity is something that I struggle with my entire life. And thinking about a history of racial issues and my own experiences that didn't always sing of liberty and equality. So it's obviously uh, divisive, controversial, ultra-political, and has nothing to do with military affairs. Those are the military's top leaders, but those who have been actually doing the fighting, they're not on board with a lot of this stuff, like these two guys. Let's take a look at, uh, who do we have here? Lieutenant Colonel Mark, I'm sorry, Matt Lohmeyer, back when he was in uniform, and Will Tebow, also in uniform, uh, two great patriots who uh, have left the military and spoke out before the House Oversight uh, Committee yesterday about just how wrong the military has gone with this woke stuff. DEI trainings divide our troops ideologically and in some cases sow the seeds of animosity toward the very country they had sworn an oath to defend. History is littered with examples of militaries whose consideration of political ideology precipitated a collapse in military professionalism, led to defeats on the battlefield, and all of which served as a precursor to the collapse of those nations. America should not wait to find out if we can outrun the drumbeat of such history. Those guys are so powerful, so articulate. Will anything change? Uh, welcome, Matt Lohmeyer, uh, and welcome, Will Tebow. You guys have been outspoken. You're both uh, successful military veterans. Welcome, Matt, first to you. We know the problem, and heroes like you are speaking out. you think anything's going to change under this administration? I'd hate to give the American people false hope. Uh, there are people fighting every day to make that change uh, possible. One of the things that I learned firsthand in a very tangible kind of a way, seeing it, hearing it, feeling it in the hearing room yesterday, is that the left, the Democrats who participated, when in fact they participated, because they were not there for the entire hearing, they would come and go when it was their turn to ask a few questions, throw a few spears, was that they have a real, genuine, heartfelt unwillingness to engage with Republicans on this issue. They have an unwillingness to hear what uh, Will's and my feedback was. And they wanted to focus on the decades past instead of focusing on what troops are giving us feedback about from the last several years, which is the overt politicization of the military workplace. Instead, they want to insist that progressive ideologies, uh, a la the Truman administration, have been good for the military. No one was there to argue that. So, yeah, we have a lot of uh, work to do. Uh, Probably nothing short of a new administration and a change in senior military leadership is going to allow for that change, but it doesn't mean we don't fight today to try and uh, allow to pave the road for such change in the future. Thank you. Will, where do you see us right now and where is this going? If you notice, the one argument that Democrats on the Oversight Committee went to great lengths to ensure uh, people thought was false was the notion that there are quotas in the military. That drove them crazy to believe that we select men and women to serve or to be promoted based on their race or sex. But in reality, that's exactly what military personnel policy is today, and it has been for much longer than Americans think. And that's where we need to inflict change on the military, even hoping to use the tools that Republicans in Congress have now. We need to use the National Defense Authorization Act in this coming year to actually inflict change and not trim the margins of what are drastic policies that are rotting out the core of our military and, and you know, giving us a few years ahead of where, you know, we're at a precipice, we're at a turning point. And so it's time for Republicans in Congress and, and, and conservatives in America 
to, to take a stand because it's, it's these next 24 months that are crucial. Millie is no longer there, but General C.Q. Brown is the new chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And if Trump should win, he's still going to be there, although I guess he's fireable because he should be fired. Uh, here he is in the summer of 2020, August of 2020, making highly political statements, I believe, about George Floyd. Let's take a look. I'm thinking about how full I am with emotion, not just for George Floyd, but the many African-Americans that have suffered the same fate as George Floyd. I'm thinking about protests in my country, tis in the sweet land of liberty, the equality expressed in our Declaration of Independence and the Constitution that I've sworn my adult life to support and defend. And thinking about a history of, of racial issues and my own experiences that didn't always sing of liberty and equality. All right, here's the thing. He seems to have some issues there uh, with America that he hasn't quite worked out. But this is the creepy part, even creepier than what we just heard. The date of that message is August of 2020. It's three months after George Floyd, May of 2020. Um, you know, Matt, I have a feeling that that was an authorized move by the deep state to hurt uh, Trump. And can you, do you agree with that? And, by the, and, and also, the, the, this, the, the general class, it seems to me, the generals in the military are incredibly open to this stuff. And I think that speaks to a deeper problem, the kinds of people who are joining the military or perhaps the kinds of people, you know, what they have to do and be to get to the top, very political. Care to comment? Sorry. Yeah, great points. I'm glad you brought this up. It was abundantly clear to service members at that time frame in the late spring and summer of 2020 that there was a very coordinated effort from the senior most levels of the Defense Department to propagandize, and I couldn't, I couldn't call it that when I was in uniform, I was very careful, but to propagandize service members in the lead up to a presidential election. And, and General Milley himself, and you said he's not still in, and he's not, he's been replaced by C.Q. Brown. General Milley himself was leaking information or open talking uh, to journalists and authors who had pending book deals that were going to be damning of President Trump, S sensitive information, talking about uh, things that he said to his own office uh, peers behind closed doors about the commander-in-chief. Frankly, he should have been court-martialed. Uh, a lot of people said it then. I still feel it now. And now he's enjoying a retirement. But there are people who, who lead our Defense Department who had a political agenda and whether or not they will ever admit to that, service members felt it across all branches of the military. And whatever trust they had for Millie or CQ Brown before those moments that you get to see on camera, they lose it instantly. And it's very hard to gain that trust back once it's lost. It takes a long time and it takes uh, marching to the right drumbeat, so to speak, and to, to, to show deliberate efforts to remove those politics from the workplace for a very long time thereafter. So we've got a big steep hill to climb if we're going to regain trust in the military. Right. And, and we mentioned, OK, if presidential election, Trump is needed, somebody else is needed. But we know this happened under Trump, Will. It happened under Trump. So this is deeper than, than a president. This is beyond a president's, I mean, he can help. But man, that, that, that feeling is entrenched. Um, I don't know. I mean, what happens if Trump becomes president again, as I hope he does? 
Well, the saddest part of that video you played of General Brown is the fact President Trump promoted him to be the Air Force Chief of Staff just a few months later. So we need to be brave and bold about the personnel policy that we make in a new administration for uniformed officers and political appointees. No longer can we give absolute deference to those in uniform. My team did an analysis of all the generals and admirals promoted in 2023. Almost 50% made public statements in support of an ideology like diversity, equity, inclusion as defense policy. So this is the groundwork that you know folks like me and, and Matt Lohmeyer can lay now. So conservatives and policymakers have the gumption to make the necessary changes, even those changes at the top, when, uh, God willing, a new Trump administration starts just about a year from now. But we have to be clear-eyed, and you're right, Greg, that mistakes have been made, and, and we can't make those again if we want to correct course. That's interesting. Very, very interesting. And, um, oh, by the way, I served in the military. You guys served in the military, and that's been my big takeaway over the past couple of months, maybe a year. The American culture is paying almost too much deference to people in uniform. Strangely enough, you know, we respect, we revere service and we encourage it, but it can be used as a weapon against the democracy. It really can be. And I think we've seen that. Guys, you, you're fantastic. Let's keep this conversation going. Uh, uh, excuse me, Matt, how can people find you? It looks like you've got a podcast set up. Uh, what are you up to these days? I'm actively uh, filming a feature-length documentary right now, so I had to put that podcast on hold. That should be available, I hope, this summer. Uh, and it talks about the message in my book and uh, critical race theory, Marxism, uh, but it's also uh, about um, broader national identity issues that we face. I hope it'll be very helpful, but people can go to MatthewLohmeyer.com and follow my work. And my book is uh, sold just about anywhere. Most of the time, people just get it on Amazon. But Irresistible Revolution, Marxism's Goal of Conquest, and the Unmaking of the American Military. Okay. Our associate producer, uh, Sandy, says you should go into modeling as well. Uh, Will Tebow, <laughs> what are you up to? Uh, writing some great work for the Claremont Review of Books. We'll be publishing a report on the integrity of the military as an institution uh, this summer. We have work coming out in the American Conservative, the American Mind. I'm on Twitter at William Tebow, uh, where you get some uh, shorter-term musings, too. But uh, a lot of great work coming in 2024. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you. We'll be right back. America is almost 250 years old. In two years, we'll be 250. Long time since George Washington crossed that uh, Delaware River. And, well, our Minutemen were battling the Redcoats, huh? the Revolutionary War. Uh, about 10 years or so before that, we actually owe a debt of gratitude to the Sons of Liberty. They were, well, kind of loosely organized, uh, but very determined, somewhat clandestine, and they were not about to comply with the onerous Stamp Act imposed on us by uh, the Brits, King George, and the rest. They actually were so outraged by the Stamp Act, which was totally unfair, uh, they threatened people. <laughs> if you comply with this thing, you could be in big trouble. Here's the actual placard that the Sons of Liberty posted all over New York City uh, just before that Stamp Act went into effect. Here's the message. Here's the message. Um, the first man that either distributes or makes use of stamp paper 
Let him take care of his house, person, effects, Vox Populi, we dare, oh boy. Um, that is history right there. And the document itself, there are only two in the world and one of them, one of them will be on sale uh, for auction at Christie's next week, the legendary auction house. This is worth something between four and six million dollars and it is the earliest known evidence of the revolt against Great Britain. Uh, we're joined now by Dr. Michael D. Haddam. He is the author of The Memory of 76, The Revolution in American History. Dr. Haddam, welcome to Newsmax. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. That document, I must say, Sons of Liberty and the placard, uh, not particularly familiar. Can you bring us up to speed? Why is this so significant? Yeah, so it's a placard that was created um, in the week before the Stamp Act went into effect in 1765. And one of the reasons that it's so significant is, uh, one, the, the threat that it offers, the very real threat to individuals' house, person, and effects, uh, which is, uh, really shows how, much, how far the colonists were willing to go to resist the Stamp Act. Uh, even more so than uh, the resistance that occurred up in Boston uh, or in Philadelphia. Another reason that is significant is because it, it shows, you know, how messy the politics of uh, the imperial crisis that that led to the revolution were, uh, and and also it it really signals uh, the the emergence of the Sons of Liberty, which was a, as a as a known and sort of named group would would not emerge until just after. Um, uh, the Stamp Act crisis in New York City, uh, which really was set off by this placard. And forgive my uh, rather broad-brushed uh, history recitation. I, uh, how big is this? Like, how, physically, how big is this, uh, this document? Um, uh, that's hard. It's, a, it's about five, to five by seven, right? Uh, it's about five by seven. It's not big at all. They were, what happened was they were, they were, uh, there were many of them, and they were posted on uh, poles and on, on buildings and doorways all over New York City to warn uh, residents not to comply with the Stamp Act. And that's another reason why it's so significant. It's one of the first documents that we have where there is an open call, not just to uh, try to get Parliament to uh, repeal the Stamp Act, but to, to forthrightly and outrightly um, uh, uh, defy parliamentary authority. And can we go to that text again, please? Uh, back then, oh, let's put it up on the screen. Uh, let him take care of his house, person, or effects. Um, what is that? What is that code for? Is that code for uh, wrap up your matters on earth because you're going to be uh, leaving it shortly? Yeah. Well, you know, in Boston, famously, uh, the the stamp distributor there, uh, Andrew Oliver, had his uh, warehouse, and and Thomas Hutchinson, the lieutenant governor, had his house basically ransacked and destroyed by uh, protesters. Uh, but what's different here? is, you know, that would be the house and effects, right? Um, but here there's a clear threat against a, an against people's person. And so the placard is, is threatening sort of a, a bodily uh, harm. It's threatening violence against people. And, and that was not normal uh, in, in 18th century politics. Sons of Liberty. And um, what kind of uh, prospective buyers are, are out there? If I had the money, I'd be all over this thing. Um, who are you looking for? And how, if somebody is interested and they're a multimillionaire and they'd like to join in the, in the auction, how do they do so? I mean, the, the, the buyer thing, I'm just a historian. 
Um, but I assume that anybody who is interested in acquiring the document uh, should, would be uh, uh, instructed to contact Christie's. Okay, go to Christie's.com. And again, um, the, the preservation of this thing, do you, it, what kind of condition would you say it's in um, after all these years? You know, it's in, it's in surprisingly good condition. There's a, one of the things that's so important about it is, it, is it's how rare it is. There's only two of these that are, that are known uh, to exist, and there were many around the city. Um, and even this one uh, has only really sort of come to light, you know, fairly recently. The other is in the National Archives in Britain, so it's not possible to be bought. Um, but, but so, uh, you know, for, for a, a placard that was posted on a pole or a building, uh, almost 250 years ago, or over 250 years ago. Uh, yeah, it's in surprisingly good condition. And one more thing. Um, did it have its intended effect? Uh, did people stop using the, um, you know, stop complying? And, um, and or did anybody die? Did the Sons of Liberty take anybody out who, uh, who dared defy this message? Yeah, so they did not have to follow through on that threat of uh, bodily violence. Um, but the, the threat and the, the riot that occurred on November 1st, uh, the day the Stamp Act was to go into effect here in New York City, is one of the biggest riots that the city's ever had. But it, it's very, uh, it's relatively uh, uh, unknown next to say something like the draft riots. But it did have its intended effect because the royal governor did not put the stamps uh, uh, into use. And uh, and everything was basically put on hold while uh, uh, while uh, the the machinery was working to get Parliament to repeal the Stamp Act, which happened in early 1766. Well, it's really it's really interesting. I would love to own it, but uh, folks who have the means can go to Christie's.com for more information. Finally, um, you know we had the bicentennial in 1976. I remember that. In 2026, what do we call that? What what is it going to be? That the, the, it's not the tricentennial. What is it? It is either the sester centennial, or it is the semi quincentennial. Neither of which have the ring of bicentennial. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Semi quincentennial is not going to wind its way on any coffee cups, but sester centennial, who knows? Well, Dr. Michael Haddam, thank you very much. You can go to mdhaddam, H A T T E M dot com, to find out more about the doctor. Thank you, sir. And uh, thank you, Sons of Liberty, for all you did. We'll be right back. Thank you. This is a neck and neck race, and no one feels very comfortable on the Democratic side of things that Donald Trump isn't going to be the next president. Well, I don't think that nobody feels. I think many of us know that it is impossible uh, for him to be the president again. That's quite a statement. Wow. Nancy Pelosi, many of us know that Donald Trump cannot be the president again. It's impossible. It's, how would she know that? That's so creepy. Good for the guy. He's like, huh? Why do you say that? Proposing. Well, because when you're talking about what he's talking about now is more tax cuts for corporate America, taking them down so low to the detriment uh, uh, of our budget. All right. Now and she's kind of backpedaling. All right. You know, people differ on policies all the time. And, you know, people can disagree with you. I, I, she said it's impossible. We know it's impossible for Trump to win. She's not talking about policy differences. She's talking about something else. What do they have up their sleeve, huh? Who could have thunk of those four indictments, five indictments? What are they going to try next? They're not finished. They're not. They're going to come up with something. 
We'll beat that, too. But that was a, a tell. There's something going on. Uh, oh, and here's uh, Michelle Obama. I actually missed this the other day. I got her on a couple of things. She said it's impossible for a black man to get indicted and then run for office. Happened. It happens. It happens. You know, America's so racist, this, that, and the other thing. But her overwhelming faith in government, uh, government is all-powerful and can do anything. You wonder, where are people, where are we in this? Uh, you know, where are our hearts? What's going to happen in this next election? I am terrified about what could possibly happen because our leaders matter, who we select, who speaks for us, who holds that bully pulpit. It affects us in ways that I, sometimes I think people take for granted. You know, the fact that people think that government, eh, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't really even do anything. And I'm like, oh, my God, does government do everything for us? And we cannot take this democracy for granted. You catch that part? Government does everything for us, everything for us. She is going to be the nominee. She's going to be the nominee. Something's going to happen and she's going to be the nominee. I'll be right back. Nothing like going to the beach in the winter with your girls, with your family. There's uh, Madeline and Annalise, two and three. And uh, sweaters, sweaters at the beach. It was a wonderful day. We may go back soon. My wife took the pictures. I was, uh, I was in the car. It was a very cold day. Uh, love you, girls. And folks, many, many thanks. I'll stop whispering, that Joe Biden thing. I've been watching too much of that guy. Good night. I won't do that again.